This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gab, for Saturday, November 16th, 2019. Man, I'm tired and slow. I'm trying to run over my checklist. Tired and slow today. Yeah. That's yeah. all right. You're allowed. The, the the days are getting shorter. It's quieter. And I'm tired and and slow. I don't know if I mentioned that. Mm. Uh what do I usually say at this point? Dornal, how is your week? Is that is that the let's let's go with that. Why let's did I that. did I really did I really miss something? I feel like I missed something. Oh, I, well, we don't really have a theme today. I usually talk about some sort of news or a theme or something like that, but I think we're just um, hanging out. A theme. Uh, an omnipotent, megalomaniacal, mega multinational corporation that is slowly buying up all media properties. Slowly. That sounds that sounds really dark and ominous, Daddy Warpig. What do you? That, that can't be true. What what could possibly fit that description? We will talk about that later. So, how was your week? A bit of hit and miss. I had a long weekend last week. That's that's why I wasn't here for the gab. Um, we had a had a nice retreat with some old friends. Out in out in the mountains, I was actually out in Denver, which is a nice place when it's not snowing. And uh, and uh, back to work for the rest of the week. It's been a pretty slow week, otherwise. I'll have to say. Uh, my week was just about the same as my weeks usually are. I worked a lot. I got some stuff accomplished that was very gratifying. I moved the ball forward. Uh, and passed some goals I've been striving for for a long time. Well, that's good to hear. I, I So, yeah, it, it was one of those, when you're working on a really big project, there's just a certain amount of work you have to put in. And there are goals or destinations you can reach after you do a ton of work. And sometimes those destinations, you work and you work and you work and you get closer and closer and closer. Sometimes those destinations, you happen to pass them in a week. And that's great, and it feels great. It doesn't mean you did any more work this week. It just means that this happens to be the week where something finally paid off, where your work finally fell together. And you know that. You're a programmer. You know how that works. Mm -hmm. uh, or mechanics know how that works, or designers of any kind. Um, lots of people, carpenters. Uh, electricians, whatever. You just happen to pass a point where all the work finally pays off. And I've been very lucky the past two weeks because I had one of those points two weeks ago and one of those points this week. 
So it's been a very up month for me. <laughs> I'm very excited, but you know, I may not have that up a month for a long time in the future, but I just, you know, you just remember, hey, I worked my tail off for a long time and I finally hit finally hit the point where I'm got the fruits of my hard labor and now it it's reinvigorated me and I can go on and keep on working. Amen. Uh, it's, that's been tough speaking from experience. Uh, it's tough when you're stuck. Uh, I've been, I've been stuck for a while at work and, uh, and it's good to finally break out and, and get things moving. Um, You're, you're, okay, this is now your job for today. It I have a is, job. You have a job. It is your job to keep things moving because I'm not going to be able to do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, so, I mean, as yeah, as far as my week goes, uh, I, I don't have anything, I haven't tried any new games. Uh, it turns out my buddies in, in Denver really enjoy playing terraforming mars so i i ended up playing a bunch of the same stuff i usually play which is kind of hilarious i find myself thinking wow i, I could have just stayed home and played all this stuff um so that that was my week and i'm really happy to hear that your week is is doing well or as well as can be despite all the tiredness what what is that deck design game that I love playing where you buy the lands and then you buy the cards to help get you money to buy more lands and cards. Uh, Dominion. Dominion. Okay. So your friends have games that they like to play. Apparently my family likes to play Dominion. Really? Yeah. We were at a family, um, we were at a family reunion uh, last year. And I don't know that I told this story, but I brought my three-in-one Dominion. I bought for my birthday, I bought myself a three-in-one Dominion box. It's Dominion plus two expansions all in one box. And me and my brother and uh, one of my sisters were playing it. And then another sister came over, then another sister came over, then one of the nieces came over. And we just had a grand old time. We played it for like, two days at the family reunion. Oh, that's great. So I'm just like, dude, my family loves this game. I love this game. I got creamed. <laughs> I got rolled over terribly. My sisters, my niece won a game. My brother won games. I didn't win a single game that weekend. They crushed me. But it was fun. And I got well, you know, you're sitting there playing a game. You get to talk to family and catch up, and that's just great. So, yeah, I'm I'm happy about that. Absolutely, and it's a sign of a good game when it it it's good social lubricant when you can just use it as a way to sit around and chat with people, and it's also the sign of a of well designed game that it's fun while you're losing. It's just it's an awful awful feeling to be as old as I am and to be losing to a 14 year old girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, 
That was painful. I will that's, not lie. That's a, that's a humbling experience. Yes. Yes. Uh, DJ Schreffler hanging out in chat with us. Uh, thanks for listening in. And he's he's listening from work today. He's hanging out with us in chat. He's suggesting Seven Wonders. You should... Have you played that one? I think I played that one with, uh, with the group here in Salt Lake City. Oh yeah, I, I'm. Sh- I, I think so. It's it's a pretty old game. It's one of my favorites. For uh, it, it plays up to seven people, and it's a light game. Great choice for that sort of family gathering vibe because it's easy to play. You can have fun while losing, and and there's lots of downtime for you to for you to chat. Well, a little bit of downtime. If if you're the slow one, if you're tired and slow, then everybody else has downtime while they wait for you to pick a card. <laughs> I think that's the game when we when I came out there for PAX. I think that's the game we were playing the night uh, I went comatose. Yeah. Uh, when my yeah. body just said, I'm not doing this anymore to, for today. I, I remember we might have played that, but we also played, uh, you might be thinking of Ascension. We played a lot of Ascension, and that—that's the one you might be thinking of. Which is—it's a deck builder. It's just like Dominion, uh, you know, with some some other some changes to it. But that was a good one too. Um, I was going to start complaining about that one DM, and I was trying to work out in my mind if we can stretch that out to a segment to make it worthwhile. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. We we got some we got some overworked people at at the convention running bad games. What are you gonna do? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really bitter about it. It's been six years. I can get over things. Well, I mean, now I have to fill in a little bit of context for anybody listening. <laughs> we we went uh, uh, we went uh, a few of us friends and. Uh, I think my brother was up for this year too. We all yeah. went out. We all went in to Pax as friends and family and did a couple of role playing games together. Uh, on and the the Pathfinder adventure was uh, the Pathfinder booth was not like I'll contrast it with the D and D booth. You know, Wizards of the Coast is up here in the Northwest, same as Paizo, and they had uh, maybe a couple dozen professional game masters running games at the convention. They had a really well plotted out game with tons of people. We all had a great time. And and at that time, fifth edition was new. So we were learning, uh, you know, we were learning the new system and, and, and it was a blast. We had a ton of fun. On the other hand, the Paizo booth was sparsely manned by volunteers who hadn't had enough sleep. And, <laughs> And the adventure as written was just terrible. And so we, we've got this, we've got this guy who's, who's uh, this poor guy. And, and I know him as, is a, he's an employee at card kingdom, actually. I've, you know, I, I had met him before, but he was, he had absolutely no sleep and he was just running this adventure by the books. And, and it wasn't an adventure. It was just like two combat scenes with some narrative back to back. Uh, it was the whole thing was unplayable, uh, and 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 we're just the, us p- 
poor players were sitting around attempting to interact with the world and the game and the game master and hang out with each other. And, and there was no game there. And it was frustrating for him and for us. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to describe it further, but it was an awful experience. Um, I haven't played Pathfinder since for that matter. So that's, that's that story. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you find a good con game? It's, it's tough to tell without actually looking at the module ahead of time, but based on that and the few adventure paths I've played at Pathfinder society events, I hate to say it. I've got no faith in the adventure writers there. Uh, I think, I think for a t- at least for a time, all they were doing is just publishing as much stuff as they can in sort of a scattergun approach. Uh, and and the quality of the adventures definitely wasn't there. Um, but that's that's sort of the the problem with modern D and D the or the modern modern third edition D and D Pathfinder where it's my precious encounters for uh, for uh, you know you have a couple of fights of varying difficulty and you know they culminate in one final fight or encounter and then that's the game. Rant over. Rant over. See, I was doing fine up until that last sentence. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I happen to agree with you, but you've pushed me off the abyss into a deep thought pool that was kind of unexpected. This is something I've been thinking about for a long time. Everybody knows who's listened to the show before. Um, I'm not saying that's everybody in the audience, but everybody who's been listening to the show for a while knows that part of the big secret project is a role-playing game. And it's not just that I'm designing mechanics and stuff. I'm also putting together a game master advice chapter. And part of putting that together has been some rather deep analysis of the basics of role-playing games and trying to put together some ways to approach it and some structures to just simplify uh, what role-playing games are so I can directly... Uh, clearly express them to game masters so they don't have all this fuzzy thinking, all this, you know, elaborate BS that just gets in the way. So one of the things I've been thinking about is how much cruft, how many dragon or magazine articles or game master chapters or whatever have have sprung up that just add so much useless minutiae for game masters to keep track of that don't actually make the game any better while at the same time they've taken away a few simple things that are core to the game that are what role-playing is all about. And I just keep on going back to the notion that if we simplify and focus on the essentials, that role-playing games will go a whole lot easier and a whole lot better. Because... Game masters have this paranoia 
they have the feeling that they have to be brilliant at everything or they're a crappy game master. And that's just not the truth. You don't have to be super or superhuman to be a good game master. It doesn't require that. It just requires you to learn a few simple principles and then practice them. And then you'll get better. And forget about all this other convoluted crap. Stick to the basics. And if this other stuff, if you like it and it works fine, if you don't, just forget about it. Specifically, um, you were talking about role-playing games being just a few combat scenarios with nothing else around them and then a final boss battle and that's the end of the game sure that is in my mind a withered crippled misshapen it, it's just a mutant right yeah of a of a role playing game that's not a real role playing game no Ooh. it's it's it, it's a uh, it, it's people forgetting or, or for, forgetting what a role-playing game is supposed to be like or or taking the wrong lesson. You know, if you're writing an adventure for a convention, the right the, the wrong way is the way that that adventure did it, which was sort of here, there's a setup and there's a monster going to be a monster attack and there's nothing to do in between the setup and the monster attack, right? And the monster attack is the whole of the scenario versus the introductory adventure uh to the D&D 5th edition game, which was a very simple five-room dungeon. And it, even though it's five rooms with two paths, both paths lead to the same final room, right? It's it's just really simple and it's easy to play, but the important part is it let the players interact with the game and the world. And so when when you come from the when you come from the perspective of I'm gonna write these fights or these adventure or, or these encounters, then you don't, you don't get a world that your players can interact with. You get a couple of combat scenarios to play, which I mean, at that point you might as well just, okay, that, that was a fun fight. Can we skip to the next one? Right. If, you know, if what I do, if what I do doesn't matter, then let's just go ahead and do the next scenario. I hope that made sense. No, it did make sense. I just... You're just missing out on everything. That makes them good. Yeah. At that point, you may as well be playing a skirmish combat game, you know? For sure. Yeah, or just, or just played a few rounds of Diablo or whatever. Yeah. Um... We have a friend of ours that uh, lives in Salt Lake City who was just texting me about a birthday gift he just got, which was a Battletech war game, miniature war game. He's using 
paper flats um, to play. And it, it's not a role-playing game. It's specifically meant to be just a, a combat game. You set up some mechs, your mechs go out, and you skirmish with another group of mechs, which is fine. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. What I'm saying is that if you're turning a role-playing game into a skirmish combat game, and there's nothing before and nothing after that, you've gotten rid of everything that makes it a role-playing game. Yeah. Um, that's tragic. <laughs> I just... I love role-playing games. And it doesn't take... It doesn't take a lot of work in terms of time or in terms of thought to say, um, you come into the room, you smell mildew, you hear a trickle of water, uh, and the wall, the stone wall is damp on the southern side. Okay, you've set up what things smell like, what things look like, what things sound like, and what things feel like. You've given the players ideas about there's four senses there, because presumably they haven't licked anything yet, so you're not, <laughs> you're not gonna tell them that. But you've created the world and put them inside it, and their imaginations can start filling in the rest. Um, and you didn't have to do all that much work. You don't have to be a flowery, you know, description writer. You don't have to be um, a professional writer to do it. You just give short descriptions, don't feel any pressure, just practice it, and that creates the reality of the world. That is enough for their imaginations to establish the reality of the world and to interact with it as if it was real. Now, maybe they already know there's an underground lake beneath this, you know, temple complex that's been buried. So maybe that dripping water will uh, make them go, wait a minute. We could maybe get down to the underground lake if we look on the damp wall where the water is running. And maybe they can go over and say, okay, we want to feel around to see if anything's loose or we want to see if there's a grate here or we want to see if there's a puddle or if, you know, there's signs of someone having uh, used a pick or a shovel here. They immediately, they're not thinking in terms of strength checks or whatever. They're thinking in terms of this stone wall is real. This water is running down. It's connected with some other part of the dungeon. Um, there's moss here. 
you know, whatever. It gives them a reality to interact with. Now, that's what role-playing is. That's what's interesting about role-playing is combat can be fun, and combat is definitely a part of role-playing. But to have only combat is to get rid of all the interesting stuff. Yeah, or if if I may play devil's advocate, if if you like the combat, getting rid of the rest of the world robs the players of an opportunity to make that combat meaningful in a context or to take actions and do things to affect the the combat they play or uh, affect their chances of surviving the combat or winning the combat. So- right? traps or yeah hiring the right people bribing the right people uh, setting up traps uh, preparing the correct spells that sort of thing you take away all the context that makes the combat interesting and dramatic and and i don't i don't mean character backstories i mean i mean people's decisions that matter that kind of drama uh i said this this week while we were talking about i was they were some of the Pulp Revolution guys were talking about video games. And so I dropped in to drop a comment. And what I said was, in video games, specifically in first-person shooters, is what I was talking about. Story is all about providing dramatic context to the shooting. It gives you a notion of who you're shooting, why you're shooting them, and it links together all the different combat scenarios. And you don't want role-playing games to become first-person shooters because first-person shooters are better first-person shooters than role-playing games will ever be. But in role-playing games, you describe the world so that it provides dramatic context for things that are going on. Yes, you may be striving for more treasure, but you're not doing it in a vacuum. You're doing it in a specific place, Hmm. in a specific time, near a village with people, and you're affecting things in the world. It's not just fighting. Amen. All right, horse beaten. (laughs) <laughs> anybody uh drop any uh, uh, ch- no we killed chat chat's board oh it looks like we had something cut out oh i hope not we'll listen to the recording later <sighs> we'll, we will we'll patch it up in post-production <laughs> awesome that's great i love that <laughs> All right, so we uh, you also saw some interesting stuff because we talked about evil globalist corporations. I, I believe it was a, a an evil mouse themed globalist corporation, and uh, and I was greatly curious to know about uh, the hot new streaming service that it seems all of my Facebook friends are are enjoying. Uh, it, it, can you tell me about your experiences with the new Disney Plus and their fantastic new entry in the Disney science fiction franchise? Uh, hold on, let me check my notes. Star Wars? <laughs> uh, 
Um, <laughs> yes. I blew your mind with that one, didn't I? Star Wars. Just do, do you want to do? Do we need to provide context on on the series for listeners who may not be familiar with the with the setting or the or the story or anything? Yeah. Is there, has everybody heard? Has everybody heard of Star Wars? <laughs> All right. Cool. Um. So. My my brain is blown. I want to do this first. Let's talk about the outer worlds first. Oh, uh, we can do that. We can, we can do that. Whatever whatever keeps your brain in order. I have no idea what the outer worlds is. I, what I, is that? I just have to tell people I have literally been on four hours of sleep a night for like seven days now. So I am pushing myself in hammering myself into functioning order today. So, you know, this is what I'm like on mild sleep depression or deprivation. <laughs> so just want you to know, this is how awesome and high functioning I am is on a mild case of sleep deprivation. I can still do this. Um, I played The Outer Worlds. It's a game from Obsidian. We mentioned it. A couple of weeks ago when we had our show. Uh, and But I just finished it um, last night. Or the, the night of the 14th. I just barely finished it. And it was fun. The ending was fun. Although apparently I did not do as good as I thought I did. Because I got the mixed success ending where the guy who put me on the path to greatness was forever consumed with self-doubt and bitterness about and doubts and and uh, questioning himself for the rest of his life about his role in setting me loose on the universe. Um, he never felt good about himself again because he he let loose the infamous captain of, of, of the unreliable. So I had become infamous and, and also had not apparently fulfilled my job as, as well as I thought I had. I don't know what I did suddenly at the end, but apparently I did. Um so I'm thinking I want to go back to like an hour before I got set on the final apocalyptic moments of the game to see if I can up my uh, responsiveness so he doesn't feel suicidal over having let me loose on the colony. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a letdown at the end of the game. You're thinking, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I succeeded in all the quests. I'm killing all the bad guys. I'm saving all the good guys. And then the game goes and tells you, the man who set you free is depressed for the rest of his life at the thought that he ever helped you. <laughs> wow. Uh, 
I won't I won't lie, Daddy Warpig. I, I hate to be negative here because I, I'm usually such a positive loving guy. That sounds dreadfully boring. The the game. Did you actually enjoy it? Yeah. Why does that sound boring? I, I don't know. Just to get that sort of an ending. I don't know. That sounds like a downer. It kind of is a downer at the end. Um, but yeah, it was interesting throughout the game. Um, but so, th- so that's just, that's just a, a downer point that the game itself was enjoyable. Yeah. And most of the, it, uh, did you ever No, you don't cause you hate those kinds of games. Huh? It, uh, anime dating Sims. Yeah, no, I, I don't like them at all. <laughs> You hate New Vegas, Fallout New Vegas. Oh, I can't. I, I can't play Bethesda games. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is not quite a Bethesda games. Bethesda game. It's more akin to, like, um, well, Obsidian made it, and Obsidian also made like Knights of the Old Republic two. Oh, I didn't finish that one. Uh, I. Uh, it was. It was cl- well. Neither did they. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this was okay. Um, but in Fallout New Vegas, at the end of the game, it gives you you know a bunch of uh, title cards telling you how your actions affected the world. Oh, okay. And that's all this was. Was a bunch of title cards saying. Oh, this one character that you help go on a quest and find his, you know, inner peace uh, became a good guy and was peaceful and happy and and generally well adjusted for his le- the rest of his life. It's like, oh, okay, well that's fine. And then he carries on with all the big and small things you did, and and it just happened to be this one guy who apparently didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that was just the end of the game, but the rest of it, yeah, it was it was good. Oh, um, okay, okay. Apparently the the combat is supposedly really easy. So if you go to play the game and you're wondering where to stick the combat uh, rating, err on the side of of boosting it up. I'll tell you where to stick the combat rating, buddy. <laughs> Uh, raise the combat rating because it's really, really, uh, it has a tendency to be really easy, even on what would otherwise be considered tough difficulties. Fair enough. Um, also, once you get the ship, the starship, there is a respec um, station on it, but don't use it until later when you've got a lot of points. It's only 500 credit, uh, 500 bits the first time, but that doubles every single time you use it again. So, you know, that's going to get real expensive real quick. Um, it will help you, though, uh, kind of perfect or tweak your build. Um, sh- I like- sh- Go ahead. I liked the shooting. I liked hitting the things with with big sticks. I liked having two companions along who talked to each other, kind of like Mass Effect or uh, Nice of the Old Republic 2. I was getting a, a Mass Effect vibe from your description. Um, 
It's got a nice little bullet time mechanic that's entirely optional. Um, I liked having my ship to zoom from planet to planet and freely. You could go back to any other planet. It's not a linear game. Um, search everywhere you can for side quests and do them. Yeah, honestly, that sounds great. That sounds like everything you want out of that sort of space-faring adventure game. Yeah. Uh, you shouldn't have mentioned Court Kotor though. Everybody's DJ's uh, crying about Star Wars: The Old Republic. Did you ever play that one? The MMO. Yeah, the MMO. You know I don't play MMOs. <laughs> Not even the Star Trek. I mean Star Wars one. Not even the Star Trek or Star Wars ones. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a mistake. Anyway, go ahead. Um, I know what to say. I mean, it. well, I do know what to say about something specifically. It only crashed on me once. <laughs> All right. Modern AAA game dev. It, it never, ever, ever did any of that funky stuff where the body flipped around and sat there twitching on the ground with the arm stretched off to infinity. That's, that's an oddly specific scene you described there. Is that a reference to something? I, I've just seen things like that happen in several games, mostly Bethesda ones. Uh, all I'm saying is all the bugs, great or small, their QA team caught them all. And that's more than you can say for Mass Effect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they were doing this on their own. And they worked their asses off because they weren't doing this for Bethesda or doing this for EA or doing this for, you know, whoever. They were doing this on their own for their studio to lay the groundwork, hopefully for a sequel, but also to use this same approach and engine and stuff for other role-playing games in original IPs. And so they did a damn good job of bug crashing, um, bug quashing, literally one crasher in 50 hours of gameplay. Sounds good. I mean, that's that's really, really, really good. That's, like, outstanding in this era. Um, that's better than Pokemon Sword and Shield, and apparently Nintendo usually has a really good reputation in that area. Uh, I say that because news came out, like, yesterday, the day before, that uh, Sword and Shield have been have corrupted some save files, crashed while saving, uh, and even maybe have bricked uh, a Nintendo Switch console. So I don't have any deep. It's when games are bad that you can sit here talking about exactly how bad they are. I don't have any deep analysis of it because 
It was good. I enjoyed it. My my biggest beef with it is that it is not a AAA game, so it doesn't have a lot of content. But that could be a selling point to a lot of people. It's not as long as all these other games. Oh, yeah. I mean, who wants to, who has the time to sink 80 hours into an RPG these days? Everybody else was saying that they got like 35 to 40 hours out of it. I only got 50 hours out of it because I, I play in ways that other people usually don't. I'm a very thorough explorer of my surroundings. <laughs> That's how you find all the loot. Yes. Um, but yeah, make sure to look at every person you see. And if they have an actual name, talk to them. Because they're important. They probably have a quest or can help you on another quest sooner or later. If they have something like Stevador or guard or whatever probably they're not important ever just saying i'll take your word for it valuable hardened knowledge delivered to you <laughs> we provide a valuable service here on the geek yeah. gab do we charge admission yet to geek gab to geek gab That'd be a terrible idea. Especially on YouTube, man. Serious. Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed the Outer Worlds. It was fun. I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, I am just like dredging through my mind to come up with good things to say because they did a lot of stuff good. We sort of take it for granted when a game is, is good and playable and bug-free and it just sort of, well, that was an enjoyable experience. I mean, I've played Fallout 4. Not all of it. i played some Fallout 4 recently and it is far from bug-free. It just... I think Bethesda's in a lot of trouble. I think they have had five years or so where they could invest a, a lot of money that they earned from Skyrim and Fallout and put it into a next generation game engine that was not buggy that they could have built their next games on. But they did not do that. And I think that Fallout 76 basically drained away all the goodwill of their player base uh, along with their pay paid mods and along with their um, their apparent microtransaction hell they're going to be implementing in the future because they implemented it in Fallout 76. And right at the time at which their engine has become a huge albatross around their neck, and their policies are uh, 
making their fans angry and they've drained away all their fans' goodwill, Obsidian comes along with a game without all those microtransaction BS that is rock solid with, you know, uh, for me, I didn't have any bugs like that. Other people said they had one or two bugs. I, I, I want to be, you know, fair. Other people have said they had bugs where a body got stuck in the geometry or whatever, um, which is fine. You know, that can happen. Um, and I think that Obsidian did what Bethesda should have done but didn't do, and I think it's going to bite him in the ass, bite Bethesda in the ass. They just assumed I think they took it for granted. I think they took their customers' um, leniency for granted and just assumed it would be there in perpetuity. And if Obsidian can keep on coming out with games like The Outer Worlds, I think it's going to be... I, I think Bethesda may have been unseated unceremoniously and rapidly. And Fallout is a great IP. You can do a lot of great things in Fallout, but the Outer Worlds showed that you don't have to have... The Fallout isn't the only game in town. You don't have to have Fallout to make great games with kind of quirky, you know, setting. So Bethesda, at the very weakest time, when they were in the most trouble, somebody came along and shivved them in the back, so to speak. I, I will also say this. Obsidian um, has entirely distanced themselves from this kind of statement. They just want to make good games. They're not, they're not about... Uh, showing up Bethesda or, you know, they're not in attack mode against Bethesda or anything. This is all like big talkers like me and other people uh, who are pointing this out, but uh, we're still right. That's usually how great game companies begin. You get that core of, core of uh, excellent developers and they make something great uh you know blizzard early years is, was famous of course for having high standards for quality and you know they, they definitely they'll push release dates to make sure that the game they put out is the game they want to put out so it's it, it they only acu they accumulate baggage and and cruft and things over time that sort of turn them into well what activision blizzard is now uh where you've got a lot of talented people who you know, are, are gradually sort of starting to leave and find other places to work. So that's my review of the outer worlds. I really enjoyed it. If you're looking for a shorter um, RPG that has a lot of the great elements that you'd expect out of, you know, Knights of the Old Republic 2, New Vegas. Um, and uh, it's in a, Firefly-esque um, universe. Well, 
It's so Firefly. Is it? So, so, so Firefly. It's a space western. You've got your own ship that's just so much like the Serenity. You even get a gunslinging priest on your ship that you have religious conversations with. You get a sweet-hearted mechanic to keep your ship in shape. Um, not every single of your companions is from Firefly, but man alive. And, and, and it's not like they ripped things off from Firefly. It's just you call it a spiritual successor to Firefly, kind of like how Bioshock was a spiritual successor to System Shock. It didn't copy System Shock, but it just had a lot of the familiar elements from System Shock. So if you've been if you love Firefly back in the day, this is the closest thing you're gonna get to another Firefly series or movie or something. It's a Firefly role-playing game. Holy cow, dude, why didn't you just say so at the beginning? <laughs> um only without the obnoxious dialogue, right? With without yeah, the man. without the weedonisms. Without the Whedonisms, it's... Wow. Um, yeah, so... That sounds great. That sounds great. Um, okay, The Mandalorian. Now that we're down to 10 minutes. <laughs> the Mandalorian doesn't have anything objectionable in it so far. There's only been two episodes. Actually, I'm surprised the second episode has already been released because the first one only got released four days ago. Uh, and the, so the second one was released yesterday, which is three days later. Um, so I was expecting them to release it like once a week, but apparently that is not their plan. I don't know what their plan is, but that's not their plan. Um, and it doesn't really have anything objectionable. And... Whereas a lot of Star Wars stuff just has nostalgia where, you know, they'll point in the corner and Boba Fett will be standing there and they'll be like, look, they'll literally stop the movie and point to Boba Fett and say, look, look at Boba Fett standing there. Clap, monkeys, clap for Boba Fett. <laughs> This show actually does interesting things with it. In the second episode, they had a Jawa land crawler in the episode. But it wasn't there just to be there doing Jawa things. It was actually justified its own existence. It was an integral part of the episode... And it was fun. Its presence in the episode was kind of cool. It's something we've never seen before, as far as I know, although people have been making it clear that because I didn't watch Rebels and because I didn't watch whatever other cartoons have been out there, that I'm woefully behind in my Star Wars lore. And I'm just not caring about that. But um, as far as I know, this hasn't been done in Star Wars before. 
And it was it was worthwhile. Something different we hadn't seen about it. It made sense. It was okay. Um, my biggest problem with the Mandalorian, and this is what my tweet thread said, and maybe I should have gotten my tweet thread and just kept it up here so I could uh, read from it. Um, I live tweeted the first episode on Twitter. Uh, so that uh, um, just to be kind of a a review. Um, but it, of course, this show is way above fan fiction. Uh, it's above fan fiction. It's way, way above Abrams Johnson. And it's equivalent to a mostly decent extended universe story. So like one of those novels that you could get uh, that are Star Trek or Star Wars novels, like Han Solo it stars in or whatever. It's about on par in quality of the story and stuff as one of those novels. Wow. Now, can it stand on its own? And the answer is, of course not. It can't stand on its own. It leans hard on the nostalgia, but at least it leans on nostalgia and isn't pissing all over Star Wars. If you can see what I'm saying. It treats the original material with respect instead of treating it with contempt and treating the audience with contempt. It does not do a Johnson. It doesn't even do an Abrams. It, it's actually better than that. They had a really cool fight scene at the end of the first episode. They did some cool things in the second episode. The biggest problem is this may be fixed going forward, but for a space western featuring, which is a callback to Firefly in the Outer Worlds, but for a space western featuring a Mandalorian warrior, it's just not that exciting. It's just not that fun. Oh, that's a shame. Why do you? What do you mean by that? Why isn't it fun? It, it just has too many scenes that are long and boring, and the fight scenes it has are about. It, it, it's the Star Trek problem. You ever watch Star Trek TV shows? Sure. And you compare those to the Star Wars movies. The original movies are, you know. They're yeah, they're good. they're they're fun action adventure films. Yeah, they're great. Right. Right. That's what The Mandalorian needed to be, but it's not. It's a Star Trek show. You know, now, now that you say, now that you describe it as a space western with a Mandalorian fighter as, as the lead, I can't help but think, you know, why not just rip off? Why not just rewrite whole seasons of Gunsmoke <laughs> and just 
you know, change the marshal or whatever, the, the gunslinger into the Mandalorian just, and just rip off these episodes. Um, I, cause that, I mean, you have, you know, action and, and good guys and bad guys. And, and there's always a fist fight or a gun fight, you know, by the end of the episode, Disney showed the Mandalorian to a bunch of press people who loved it and said how brilliant it was. And what they showed was 23 minutes cut out of the first three episodes and edited together. (laughs) Now I would testify on a stack of Bibles, swear on a stack of Bibles in a court of law that you could cut together 23 minutes from the first three episodes and have a damn good action adventure show. I would not doubt that for a second. I would stake my life that you could do that. But that's not the show I'm watching. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It does have moments of things that are exciting and great. It's just surrounded by moments that are not like that, that are too slow. And it's Star Trek-y. It's not Star Wars-y in that sense. So... I don't know. I'm, I'm... I mean, it's it sounds like it sounds to me as if my interpretation is if you got Disney Plus just to watch The Mandalorian, their new streaming service, you'd be like, eh, that was kind of a waste of time. But if you wanted access to all of Disney's streaming stuff and you watched it, you'd be like, oh, cool. I'm glad they put that out. Is is that fair? Yes. Sounds fair. Disney Plus, if you have kids, is worth it just for the kids' content. Well, are you sure? Because Disney have been steadily delivering anti, uh, what's the word, anti-societal garbage for a while now. Do they have lots of the old stuff, the the good kids stuff uh, online? Everything. Well, not everything, but they have lots of everything of the old stuff. And to queue up uh, the the Academy Award winning film Song of the, the, the South. And and I have a feeling I'm not going to be able to get that on Disney Plus. No, not on the American Disney Plus. Just just checking. Not on the American um, Disney Plus. Is it on the Chinese Disney Plus? Uh, Song of the South is sold in other countries. Is it really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's only banned in the U.S. Yeah, well, we we get a little we get a little finicky about our 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 South and former slaves and so on and so forth. We get a yeah. little. It's a sore spot. Um, and that's fine. I'm not saying it shouldn't be or whatever, but you know, you can buy that in Japan. <laughs> what can't you buy in Japan? Am that's I right? <laughs> I bought the original BBC Max Headroom in Japan through the mail. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I remember that show. I didn't. I didn't know it was made the, in the by the BBC. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you have kids, uh, Disney Plus is just well worth the seven bucks a month. Um, and if you're a Marvel fan, they've got Marvel TV cartoons, 
from the 70s, 80s, 90s. Uh, that X-Men cartoon everybody loves from the early 90s, it's on there. Oh, because they own Fox now, of course. The Spider-Man cartoon from the uh, 70s is on there. The fire flaming hair chick whose name I can't remember uh, from the 80s is on there. Uh, the Incredible Hulk cartoon is on there. The one they don't have that really ticked me off is they don't have the Bill Bixby Hulk show from the 70s. I was kind of disappointed about that. You know, where, where at the end of every show would be walking off to the really, really sad music. Oh, yeah, yeah. That um, was uh, that was Lou Ferrigno playing the Hulk, right? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, they don't have that show on Disney+. Plus. I'm hoping that it will eventually come there, but they don't have that show. I was kind of disappointed. Uh, there are a few little things like that they don't have. And, of course, a lot of Disney stuff is still on contract to other streaming services like Netflix or whatever. So those are not available on Disney Plus yet. Wow. So I'm, I'm not going to say everything's on there, but they launched with the healthiest selection of content. Um, the biggest problem is trying to find it. And they even have a large batch of Fox movies. Um. Three Men and a Baby, Three Men and a Little Lady, and so on and so forth. Um, so they don't have the Fox name or logo anywhere, but they do have several Fox movies. Sounds good. Um, it's just uh, discovery is a problem. Oh, so they, they need to tweak their their software, their interface. Yeah, yeah. It's I had the hard. same problem. I had the same problem with Netflix. Actually, uh, it's it's odd that they we're sort of the leaders in, in the online streaming space, but their software that has always been uh, tough to use compared to something like Amazon. Yeah, Amazon is great for search engines. So yeah, that's the thing. Um, I uh, got caught up in all my Pixar Meters Tall Tale shorts. I watched the ones that I hadn't seen before. So, you know, they've got a bunch of Pixar stuff on there. Um, they've got a bunch of Marvel stuff on there. Uh, it doesn't include any of the Spider-Man movies, but it does include, like, Civil War um, and the Avengers, Age of Ultron, Endgame, so on and so forth. Um <laughs> Because technically the Spider-Man movies are Sony movies. Right, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I understand the hostility towards Disney. I get sure. it. But at the same time, uh, I had to review The Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, sounds like it's, it sounds like they still have that back catalog of high-quality stuff that you can... Yeah, if, if you were a Disney fan during the 70s, if there are things uh, like Return to Witch Mountain or Escape from Witch Mountain, they've got those. They've got the original Freaky Friday with, um, oh, I just had her name in my brain with nope. My favorite of that era was Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. They've got Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, Mary Poppins, the new Mary Poppins uh, Returns. Um, they've got The Sound of Music. I mean, they have, they've got a lot of old cartoons. 
Steamboat Willie and cartoons from the 30s and 40s and 50s. Um, and somebody said they're censoring it. I don't know that it's true or false. I cannot verify that. Um, but they do have little notes on some of them that say this cartoon might feature, you know, outdated cultural depictions, but it doesn't look like they've censored it. If they say the cartoon has it in it. Fair enough. Um, oh yeah. That was the other thing they don't have is the original Mickey mouse club. I can't say that that's a great loss. Just putting it out there. So they do have a lot of historical stuff from Disney um, and like all the Mickey, Donald, and Goofy cartoons going back, way back. They've got like the three Caballeros. They've got Fantasia. They've got um, you know, all, all of their not major animated features. Are what about uh, they had a great uh, set of cartoons in the nineties. Do they, do they have all the seasons of DuckTales and Chippendales, Rescue Rangers and all those shows? They do have DuckTales. Uh, they do have uh, Chippendales, Rescue Rangers. Um, they have the Simpsons, but I wouldn't watch it on Disney plus because they have converted it to widescreen and pretty did some really bad stuff to the original footage to do so. They stretched it and cut it off and mm, big mistake. Bad, bad. Um, and they also like the Michael Jackson episode is, is left out. Oh, that was one of the best of the old Simpsons episodes. Yep. They've got all 30 seasons of the Simpsons, 30 seasons. Good gravy, man. But they've got all 10 of the good seasons of The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying to push you towards getting this. I'm not trying to push you away from getting this. I'm just telling you, I got Disney Plus so I could review The Mandalorian, and I am telling you what I found out about the service as a result of getting it. It seems like an all right service. And it's seven bucks. It's not, you know... That's way too much. Get who are you kidding? <laughs> Some people like HBO is charging fifteen bucks a month, and somebody else is charging twelve. And I'm like, dude, if Disney's charging seven, everybody's going to have to start revising their prices downward because this is Disney, and <laughs> that's a power move right there. That's that's almost an antitrust move right there. <laughs> That is saying, hey, everybody, look how expensive these jerks are. We're Disney. We're $7. Uh, and other people are going to have to start lowering their prices if they can to, and still break even. I don't know what Disney's going to do about the rest of the Fox library because by branding it Disney Plus, they've pretty much guaranteed it has to be family friendly. They're not going to be able to put like aliens. <laughs> on this surface, they're not going to be able to put all the horror movies that Fox came out with on this service. I don't even know if they have the black hole on this surface, and that was a legit Disney movie. Um, but it'd be interesting to see what happens going forward. I want to know where to get like all the Fox movies, uh, 
And I don't know where that's going to happen. Um, I think that's it. Oh, yeah, we had our emergency backup one in case we ran out of material, but we didn't. I think we've lost John. Let's see if we've got some questions. Somebody asked, uh, DJ Schreffler asks, are System Shock and Bioshock fun? I've never played uh, System Shock. Um, but I loved Bioshock. Bioshock. Um, I, I think I made it partway through that game. Actually, I've played Bioshock a lot. I think I've played like 12... I think I've played Bioshock all the way through like 12 times. Oh my. You know what, you know what sort of bothered me about Bioshock? I killed the first couple of uh, Big Daddies, and there's this sort of moral decision you have to make. And and I I played it good, right? Yes. I was like, let me let me spare, let me spare these other creatures, right? And I'll sacrifice the the personal power I would get for it. And then after I saved two or three of them, they gave me a big like birthday present bonus package that more or less made up for the difference in power that I lost. And I was like, oh, that's. <laughs> That doesn't seem right. Like I, I wanted to go through, you know, I wanted to feel that sacrifice. Like I wanted to feel morally superior. Uh, and said they just rewarded me the same, more or less. That was a little disappointing. That is true. That did happen. Yeah. There's also a fun little bug when the game first came out that you only got the bad stuff. Uh you had to save three girls before you got that good stuff, right? Yeah. Well, there was a bug that if you did something specific on one of the levels, an extra girl would show up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you could capture her, harvest all the atom, and you would still get the good guy package. <laughs> of course I did that. I'm a gamer, man. That's right. I, I I will manipulate these game mechanics to my benefit. I mean, you expect me to not take free Adam? <laughs> so yeah, I was kind of disappointed when the uh, when the HD remakes came out and they didn't have that exploit. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> so I, I think that's it, man. I think we're set. Yeah, that that's. That's true. I think we're out. Do you have any final words? I'm actually reading through the chat to see if there's any questions and stuff we can answer. Reading through the chat, I think we had that Bioshock question, and then uh, maybe we have a rhetorical question. Does anybody really care about Star Wars anymore? I mean, yes. Yeah, they do. Sorry to say. I think more and more people have, have cut that off, but... I there is like no buzz over the Star Wars trailers or over uh, the new movie coming out in December. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean everybody's pretty much their enthusiasm has been killed. It's it's done. I didn't know you could kill the enthusiasm for Star Wars. 
hey, remember, there's a really long time, like 80s through the 90s up until the special editions were released, when enthusiasm wasn't that big. Do you remember those dark times? No, I guess because I hung around people who always liked Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, for my perspective, when I was a kid, Star Wars was a really fun movie that came on TV once in a blue moon, right? It wasn't, it wasn't until the end of the nineties that it really exploded for me, for my perspective. Um, well, anyway, that's, that's all I had for today. It was a lot of fun talking about all sorts of random stuff with you today. And I appreciate everybody listening who is listening live, hanging out with us in the chat and everybody who listens afterwards. Uh, I hope you had a lot of fun as well. Well, this is my turn now, isn't it? Yeah, it's all, all you, Daddy Warpig. Thank you for being such an awesome co-host. Man. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I just looked at the uh, private chat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, John was gone for a really good reason. If I had looked at the private chat, I would have known that and been able to handle that situation better. <laughs> I did not. Family emergency. <laughs> So we want to thank everyone who came uh, and listened to the show live. We want to thank everyone who uh, listened to the show later. You can catch us. By the way, if you want to listen to us live, you can catch us on YouTube.com slash GeekGab. That is YouTube.com slash GeekGab. And we're available here most Saturdays about this time. Or you can listen to us on the Google Play Store, the iTunes Store, or on soundcloud.com. Download us to the uh, device of your choosing or listen to us on the web. Uh, All of it is sans charge for you, our listeners. Um, Man, this is the point in time at which some other show would say, listen to us next week when we're going to do X, Y, and Z. I don't think we've really rarely we have been able to do something like that yeah well i think next week our best bet and this is a wild guess we are probably going to be speaking with yakov merkin again oh that would be awesome active duty idf fantasy and science fiction writer pulp rev member yakov merkin live from israel wow that was pretty good for a guy who's on sleep deprivation yeah you should do this for a living <laughs> Sleep deprivation? Uh-huh. Can you get paid for that? I'm sure there's some studies somewhere you could do. <laughs> Man, I'd be rich. <laughs> Thanks for turning in today, fo- tuning in today, folks. Um we uh we loved having you, but we uh we absolutely have to go. But don't you worry, don't you fret. We will be back.